Daniel Nugent Bowman joins us from The Athletic, who's been writing brilliantly for several years now. Uh, I always love you when you take those road trips, you find out great stuff. Uh, this was, I mean, this was the the, uh, the unsolved mystery. I didn't see Robert stack with you on the, the, on the road trip, Daniel, but the second period has, they may just want to skip that period and go right to the third. Brilliantly. Okay. I, I, I need to hire you as my agent. I like, I like, I like your, uh, your phrasing here, Al. Um, yeah, maybe they could play 40 minutes. Just not, not play the second period for, for, for a little while. Man. Uh, it hasn't gone too well for them. Um, but, uh, third period, I wouldn't say, you know, there are three periods of the game and they're all equally important, but third period, kind of decides the victor in a lot of cases and, and they've been able to uh, to do well enough in that frame um, which which matters anyway you obviously saw it yesterday in in Tempe uh, Arizona where they you know they scored four in the third and um, it, you know the more things change the more they stay the same and and, and I say that because um, we see a lot of times um, uh, with various other coaches over the years and there have been many, I uh, like to change their lines going to the third period, and, I, and that's not a knock on, on Chris Knobloch because uh, things haven't been working uh, as well the last little while, and you, you can just kind of tell the third period starting where you get some new lines here, um, and that's what happens a lot of times. He likes to go to the um, the big boys uh, playing together in terms of McDavid and Drysaddle, but did split them up a bit too. So um, you know um, he for a guy that likes to. Um, be kind of steady and um, and not change things uh, up front, especially when things aren't working. He will he will make changes, and, and we've seen that um, you know since the All Star break, especially because uh, they needed to make some changes going to the third period, and um, at least they, they picked up a couple wins and on that trip and and uh, heading home with a four and three record since the All Star break. I don't know the the one of the things about second periods that I always check down to when when. Uh, when there are a problem is is um, line changes and shift length. And the orders do have like about, I'll say, 10 guys who are over 50 minutes uh, time on ice per shift and like Bouchard, McDavid, uh, Hyman, Dreisaitl are a minute. Um, could that be it? Could it be just lingering for offense? Or, or is this just one of those things? Maybe it's the defensemen who are getting out late. Probably 50 seconds, right, Al? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. You, you didn't say fifty minutes would be a quite a long shift. Quite a long, that's Phil Esposito <laughs> level. Yeah, <laughs> there's a blast from the past. Um, you know what? I haven't noticed that as, as much. I, I'm not discounting, disputing anything you said, but it is obviously you're right. I mean, it's harder to make a change in the second period with the with the benches further away. Um, yeah, and they do have guys like you know the power play. I think is a is a different animal, but obviously look at that first unit. Um, um, you know, staying out for for ninety seconds plus uh, on the power play, and and you know sometimes that can bleed into the five on five play too, right? So, um, yeah, it's something to, to certainly keep an eye on. Um, you know, they have guys, some pretty high end guys that like to push for offense. So, um, and and especially in a case like Connor McDavid uh, has incredible stamina. So, if you can stay, you know, catch. Uh, stay out a little bit later than, than a player normally would and maybe catch uh, somebody in a bad spot on a bad change, um, you know, get a weaker matchup because uh, that, uh, you know, they're, they're, 
uh, optimal line that is going against McDavid, for instance, goes off, like that, that could be advantageous too. But it is something to be mindful of. It is something to be a little bit more uh, cognizant and careful of, I think, if you're the Oilers, um, especially since the second periods haven't been going well as late as of late. Excuse me. So uh, let's talk penalty kill. Uh, Oh you know they were they were not good, and then the coaching change comes, and then they're brilliant, and then I think it's like ten goals in the last six games or something. It's been games, yeah, it, it's been and they're outscoring in the other game uh, 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 states, but the penalty kill and ordinarily you yell at the players or whatever, but it seems like whatever they were doing has been MacGyvered by the opposition, and everybody knows there needs to be improvement, but it's not happening. Uh, I imagine the coaches are, you know, furrowed brows and late at night and all of those things. But what's, what's like, how bad is it to be this bad? Yeah, it seems like every, I mean, since the All-Star break, uh, the Vegas game, they, they didn't allow a goal. But the other six, the last six they have, it almost seems like every time that they go on the PK, there's a good chance that they're going to be scored on. And that obviously has, has, um, has come to fruition. Um yeah, I mean, uh, Chris Knobloch touched on it recently. Um, just, you know, he doesn't think they're doing a ton wrong. They're not getting maybe that, that extra state safe, you know, typically from Stuart Skinner because he's playing more of the games, but from, from their goaltenders. Uh, and I would also point to, you know, changing up personnel a little bit because of trying to work um, Sam Garnier back into the lineup. I mean, that means um, a guy like, uh, Jan Mark has come out in recent days, and now Connor Brown has too. So um, that kind of messes with with things uh, as well. I would say some guys just aren't playing it as well too. Um, there was a couple of goals at the Dallas game, particularly um, where they they allowed rush entries just far too easily. Whether it was Nurse or, or uh, I mean, Nurse typically plays with CC. Um, uh, Deharnay has struggled, I think, a, a little bit as well uh, in recent days on the PK. Um, so there's a lot of kind of um, factors that are that are kind of piling up here. And, uh, you know, because of the sustained level of success that they did have um, under Knobloch and, and Mark Stewart, I would say they should be able to get back to it at some point quickly, but as they are kind of uh, allowing these goals, making it more difficult on themselves to win games and plummeting down the, uh, the, the rankings of, uh, league-wide in the PK, it is an issue, and it's something that they do need to clean up pretty quickly here. Uh, Daniel Nugent-Bowman, our guest from The Athletic. Daniel, on the 17th of February, 2024, you wrote about uh, why a scoring winger should be the Oilers' top trade deadline mm-hmm. priority. Uh, and lots of great points in there. Uh, and, and, you know, I think we can all agree, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Hyman, Nuge, Kane are the five, and it's that extra player, and everybody's got an opinion, and I know that, that uh, you know, Ken Holland always goes for the famous guy, so if Patrick Kane's available, maybe him, or something along those lines. But they're, they're obviously cap is an issue, maybe trading out a player, maybe a defenseman or Warren Fogle might be the, the solution there. Are you getting a sense that they're leaning one way or another, or is it really just waiting to see what's available at an affordable price at the deadline? I don't know that for certain. I think there's something to be said about your, your latter point there, where uh, because for for my uh, uh, stance, I guess we'll call it that, on, on advocating maybe for a scoring winger, I, I do think there's a real opportunity and wouldn't think any less if they did acquire a top four defensively because that's a real need too. 
Um, I just think um, the way the team has played defensively heading into the All-Star break, um, there's a bit, a little bit more proof of concept with the D than there than there are of the forwards. Again, I mean, if you can upgrade your number four uh, defenseman and, and you know to call him out, Cody Ceci, if you can upgrade that spot, that's a, I think a real win uh, for the for this team. And then you have a you know legitimate top four. I mean, that's the same. Uh, not to disparage Cody Ceci because uh, when his first year on the contract, he was their, their most reliable, most consistent defenseman. Um, but I, I, I mean, you know, if he, if he wasn't making that salary and you could still fit him in, I, I think you'd like him a lot more on the third pair. And I do think highly of, of, of Vinny DeHarnay in that role too. But I, I think there's a real um, ability or need to uh, upgrade that spot too. I just think up front though, um, they're missing a six forward, and they have been for a while. Like, you know, whether it's Yessi Puliarvi or um, Kyler Yamamoto or, like, last year having to use Nick Bukestad in that role, um, there's been kind of a, a six, like a bona fide six spot missing. And, and if that's the worst thing that you're missing on your team, it's, it's not so bad, especially when on this team, you know, they've had Ryan McLeod fill in and, and Warren Fogel. And now Corey Perry in recent days and, um, you know, Sam Gagne for a couple of games early in the year, like they have guys that can do it for a little bit, but I think, you know, if you, if, if you can get that guy, um, you know, your six top six, six forward, um, and have Fogel and have McLeod and a Perry as three guys in your bottom six, I think that looks pretty good. So yeah, you can address both things. Great if you could if you need to address I think one of them, whether that's the six forward spot in your top six or your number four defenseman. You need to address at least one of them. I just think there's a bit more value in, in the forward spot. But again, if, if they address the D and, and didn't address the forward spot, I think you're okay too. They just have, they have to address one of them. Any hope left for Connor Brown? Like I know he was healthy scratched. Uh, and look, I mean, nobody I'm sure feels worse about it than Connor Brown, but that contract, uh, and the bonus of course are, are kind of an albatross right now. Um, is, is, is there a sense he's getting closer or like he hasn't scored in so long like this year and the previous year that, that, I mean, I think we're, we're at Tobias reader levels now and I feel bad for him, but do you think he'll play? like consistently down the stretch here, or do you think Gagne will slide in more often over Brown? Well, at least the others aren't missing the playoffs because he hasn't scored a goal though, right? Like, that's, <laughs> that's, um, yeah, but let's, let's be real though, Al. Like they're in this, this spot of not having um, a six top six four because Connor Brown has not scored, right? Like this, he was brought in to be the, that guy. Like he was the upgrade over Kyler Yamamoto. That was how it was supposed to work. And we're near the end of February now and he hasn't scored a goal. Like, and yeah, he had one called back in this December, maybe or whatever that was. And, uh, you know, he's had some other chances and, and whatnot, but he feel like, at some point, you got to score a goal, and uh, I think we're past the point now where we're looking at him as a top six forward for the team. Like it's just not going to happen this year. And um, yeah, he's doing some other things that you know, if he's in your lineup in the playoffs, playing whatever six minutes at even strength and, and penalty killing a bit, you know, he's because he does do a good job on the PK. Um, so if he's playing ten to twelve minutes, and and you know a third to half that time being on the PK or whatever the case. Like, you know, 
there's a, there's there's a roster spot for him potentially, but if you can upgrade, great. And yeah, the bonus is a huge issue. It's a huge issue for next year. But you know, I was talking about this with with somebody earlier today, actually coincidentally. But if he's a four million dollar player, uh, which is kind of what he is for all intents and purposes with that contract, you're really mad because you can't do anything about that guy this year. Yeah. But at least now. He's a league minimum player, and I, I know next year is a pain and it really hurts and everything like that. But if you're just thinking about this year, you can replace that player, whether it's you know trading him to you know get another player on the roster, or um, just letting him be your 13th or 14th forward or whatever, depending on how the roster shakes out and, and how the cap situation works. You can replace him, um, and that might be what they need to do because he's clearly for you know the the value that he brings on the pk he is there uh, no uh, he's no better than their 11th forward right now and, and um you know depending on the day they're 13th right so um it, it, it but to, to go back to the original point like they're in this mess because connor brown just hasn't panned out and there's a lot um a lot of good fingers to point there obviously brown himself ken holland for bringing him in jeff jackson the agent who's now working for the team uh, and you got to even look at Connor McDavid, who really vouched for this guy. So there's a yeah. lot, you know, and then there's to be more. You know, there's clearly scouts involved too. So um, it just hasn't worked. There's a lot going on uh, with that, that situation. But again, you can replace him. You can find a way to make that situation better because of the way the contract was structured as, as poorly and as uh, painfully as that uh, will look next year. Uh, I wanted to ask you because it, it, for me, this is a great week. There's There's Boston in town. I love the Bruins. Uh, there's a BOA on the weekend. Uh, even next week, Kings are are that's going to be a great tilt. Five games at home here. Um, and, and when you when you see this the schedule uh, in late summer or whenever it comes out, do you kind of circle you know circle areas or times? And is this one of them? Because as a fan, this is like a fantastic time, and as somebody who observes, it is a fantastic time. But for somebody who writes about the team and and. You know they're in a good spot now, but they still have challenges. How big is this week for you when you kind of contemplate what you're going to write about and maybe angles you're going to take on stories? Honestly, the first thing I do when I look at the schedule that comes out in June is because I don't do all the road games. I will do twelve to fifteen or something like that. So you know, a third ish, closing in a third, a quarter to a third. I just kind of look at like where are the best the opportunities to go on the road, uh, what kind of road stories are, are best. And, and, you know, I, I usually go on trade deadline trip and there's a couple, maybe another one that's a must. And so it's kind of like figuring that out. So I don't look at the, quite honestly, I don't look at the home schedule too closely because all the teams come here at some point and they'll come eventually. So I, I uh, unless there's like a, a guy, you know, a guy that is a, a pertinent player that the Oilers might be looking to get or, um, a player that I really want want to see. I don't really look at home games that closely. And to be honest, I was like talking to my uh, Boston colleague, Ludo Shinsawa, because we were working on a story together. And he's like, oh, I'll see you tomorrow. I said, oh, yeah, Boston's in town. <laughs> kind of forgot about that. So um, I don't look at it in the same way that a fan might. So, uh, yeah, I do know they have Boston and, and Calgary and certainly Winnipeg in between. Or sorry, yeah, Minnesota in between. And they've got a, a schedule where they've got five in a row at home. That's I, I do notice that stuff because uh, in December they, they had six in a row at home and they played every second day and it was like, holy cow, that's 
bizarre. It seems bizarre. So kind of bizarre things that pop up where you have five or six in a row at home. Um, that tends to, to be interest, but in terms of like opponents or, or that type of thing, uh, it kind of comes and, and goes. And I know that certain that, that they, all the teams are coming here anyway, so they'll they'll eventually all come. <laughs> that's not a great answer for you, but uh, that's just that's how my mind works anyway. I don't know about yours. No, well, that's, I mean, it's it's great insight because obviously you're looking at it from the point of view of of stories and things that you may already have in mind. And if they're coming here anyway, the difference between November and January wouldn't make a big deal unless it was a very specific story that was time sensitive. One of the things about the Bruins, that because I follow them pretty closely, they have some injuries. Uh, Lindholm was, uh, last I checked, there was some uncertainty about him. Greslak has had some problems through the year. Forbert, um, I, everybody talks about the, the Bruins maybe getting a, a winger but I think they might be like Edmonton, possibly in the market for a defenseman. Yeah, and well, that and also, you know, this is kind of the thirty thousand foot view or whatever. But I would think they'd have, have more of a need at center, though, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Like just given that they lost uh, Bergeron and um, and uh, Krejci in the off season, I mean, and certainly they've been able to, um, you know be much better than I thought they would be given those losses and, and then like a fixture, uh, high top Eastern conference standing a lot to, to make the playoffs. But, um, that's a, a need that I, I would see. Um, now it's, it's pretty tough to go get a top two line center, um, at the deadline and maybe the kind of like the Oilers where they'll have to, um, just find, you know, the best player that they can for the right, you know, money contract cap, stipulations etc um but i, I you know I, I would think they they need more help down the middle and and depending on the health of, of their defenseman there because that's you know those are more important positions in the wings but um yeah i mean again i, I think they uh are in a, in a spot kind of like the Oilers as a top you know five eight ten team whatever in the league where they, they're just in the business of making upgrade, upgrades and making their team better yeah, it's and then like they're in first place, and oftentimes you, you know, you're you're looking to rent, and they don't have a lot of, um, they don't have a lot of picks or or prospects. They're kind of in a no man's land, and they don't like Edmonton. They don't have any cap. I asked this earlier the the gentleman who I work with here. I'm going to ask you: Do you think it would be better for the NHL if they had like one every three years you could tap into a an extra resource and maybe make a trade for a player at the deadline that puts you over the cap and and not have it apply to the following year, but just kind of be a free like a get out of jail free card you could use once every three years. How difficult does this make my job? That's what I want to know. Does it make it really confusing for me <laughs> much, to do my job? Much more <laughs> difficult, Daniel. Very difficult. You'd have to do math. Yeah. Oh, my God. So the answer is no. I don't like that at all. It, uh, but, no, it's like, you know, I don't I, – I follow other sports enough to, you know, be interested to watch big games. I used to follow baseball a lot more, but now with two kids, I don't really have the time. But, you know, I know there's luxury capping, um, luxury tax or whatever in baseball. You know, there's like the um, – um, uh, franchise player and as uh, a basketball or football, but there's there's different like uh, ways to work around the cap and have these different things. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's stuff like that is, is very intriguing to me. Where hockey is very, 
uh, you know, it's, it's very cut and dried in terms of the, you know, your count, what it is, all that. And, you know, certainly there's different things like biotes and, and uh, you know, LTIR and stuff like that. But but generally speaking, compared to some of these other sports, I think it's a lot more uh, more basic. So, um, again, it makes it easier for me. So I kind of like it, but for a fan, for the entertainment value, it's, you know, I'd be open. Um, anything to make make things more intriguing I think would be uh, would be most welcome so Daniel likes hockey because there is no math is that the lead there uh, yeah as long as it can be easily done on a calculator right that's, <laughs> that's, that's for me but if I need to go and uh, ask somebody or, or, or figure it out or uh, you know, get, get my wife involved is much smarter than I am. And no, I, I like to make sure that I, I can figure things out. So uh, that's where I'm at. No, I'm just kidding. But anything, anything to make this sport more interesting is, is, uh, is up my alley. So. Daniel, thank you. Appreciate it, buddy. You're very welcome. Okay. okay talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Daniel Nugent-Bowman from The Athletic.